We are still in Matthew 17, coming down off of the mountain after the transfiguration. But there's some stories you need to know before we get to where we're going. One of them happens to be with what I did this weekend. Uh, I, at the spur of a moment, had an opportunity to, uh, to go to Chicago. It was a flight that was paid for, a hotel that was paid for. It was like, really? Why am I not going to go to Chicago? Tickets to the Chicago White Sox, Red Sox game. So close that I could almost reach out and grab hold of the team that I love. The Red Sox, by the way, not those other pretend Sox people. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely I'm going. I was supposed to do something else entirely this weekend, but plans changed. So I I go up to Chicago. One of my friends who lives here in San Antonio actually works in Chicago. He does most of his work from here, but periodically he has to go up to his office there in Chicago, check in, do everything. He works in the world of finance. And uh, I don't know a lot about finance. Thankfully, God put me in a job that I don't have to really worry about that because I don't have much of it. So we don't really deal with it. So, um, And so we we go into um, uh, the, the trading floor there. He doesn't trade anymore. He used to be a trader, but he no longer is. But some of his friends are still there. So we go into the Chicago Board of Trade. And anyone ever seen the movie Trading Places? Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, years ago? Really? You, you should Netflix that. Um, great, classic, wonderful, funny movie. Um, there is a, a part, it, it takes place there in Chicago, um, and it takes place in the commodities floor, uh, which is where he took me. So we go to the commodities floor, and I'm having this moment when Eddie Murphy goes in and Dan Aykroyd is explaining everything to him. Over here, you have the people trading gold. Over here is pork bellies. Over here is cotton. And over here, you have where it all is. You know, I think it was, what was it, soybeans or something that they were really dealing in. But maybe it was, what? Orange juice. Frozen concentrated orange juice. That's right. Um, So, yeah, there's all these different parts of the trade. And it's just... It's amazing. You know, I've seen pictures of it before. I've seen the movie. I have seen on like CNBC and different times when they give you a brief look in and uh, whatever's going on. But until you actually go and stand in the pits, you don't get it. You don't understand the enormity of it. You don't understand the overwhelming sense you have when you walk in. And seriously, people are really shouting at each other. I mean, like, really shouting and giving these hand signals. Like, I can't even, my fingers don't do what they do. Like, you know, and I'm like, what are they doing? You know, and he's like, well, every hand signal means something. I'm like, that means go frogs. I know that one. Um, And, you know, and they're doing all these things and yelling these numbers. And and he takes me around to the different... Um, the different pits and, and see one of his friends in the, uh, in the corn pit and, uh, everybody now it's all digital now. And, but you stand in, in the same red boards. If you remember all around this room, that's much bigger than this room, just all over with these red and green numbers, the yellow numbers and stuff. And they're constantly changing and all these codes. And I'm like, man, I know nothing about what is happening right here. I know that it affects me in some way. But I have no idea what's happening. I know that millions of dollars in the time that I was standing there, and we walked all around the floor to the other side as well, and we're going like this. And I have no idea what just happened. I asked him to explain it to me like four times. And he kept going, okay, this is what's happening. I'm like, okay. Five minutes later. Hey, you know when you said this, what did that mean? Um, I'm not a math person, and you have to be a math person there, but... So all this stuff's happening, and, I, and I'm just, 
I'm just overwhelmed by the amount of wealth that is going back and forth. The amount of money that's going back and forth. And that these guys who are yelling at each other and then the next moment going, hey, what are you doing tonight? You know, oh, I got four and a half. Four and a half. Uh, yeah, really, that's cool. I'm like, how do you pay attention to You're affecting my life and you're talking about your plans later. Just this amazing amount of power and wealth that dwells there. And so he had to get back to work and go to, back to his office and, and I had to leave. So we leave there and um, I really wanted to pull out a dollar and go... One dollar. Um, but nobody would have gotten it probably either. And, and so I, I, I leave and I go down to Michigan Avenue and I start walking um, down Michigan Avenue, the miracle mile, they call it. And many of you might have been there or seen pictures of it. And it is an amazing place. I've been to Chicago um, many, many times and I've been there as well. But this time it was uh, it was striking. I was by myself and I've never been there by myself. And it was kind of striking me in a new way. Maybe since I had just been on the board of trade, I'm walking down and I see all these stores, these, you know, um, stores that I, I, I can't pronounce, um, like Bulgar, Bulgarly. What, what's that? Crystal one? You know, y'all know it's a Bulgarly. Y'all don't know either. Good. Um, there, and there's Burberry. I got that one. Brooks Brothers. Yeah. Hey, we have that in our town. Um, you know, all these different stores, these opulent stores, some of them that you have to ring a bell in order to get in. You know, they don't even open the door unless you ring a bell and they look you up and down and go, you can't afford us. Just keep moving, you know, uh, or, or whatever. And so there's all this stuff and all these people going in and coming out with all these bags. And I'm like, wow, how much money is being just going trading right here on this street? And a lot of it kind of pretend money, the same like it was downtown. And then I get to where the John Hancock building is, the, the big black tower. I think it's the John Hancock lookout pavilion or something on top of it. Just this enormous tower. And you look straight up and it's just, you, you, could, you can't even see the end of it if you're standing underneath it. It's so tall, so massive. Just this amazing sense of, of power and presence from this building. So we, we leave on Saturday, yesterday, and we're in a cab going out to the airport. And I turn around and I look back, and it's just this beautiful skyline. But above it all, towering is that tower. Just high above everything. It makes everything else look silly. And they're all big buildings. And we take off in the plane, and still that tower just dominates everything. And I was just, just amazed by how much money and power and presence... It seemed to just say, here I am. When Jesus was born, he was born three miles away from something similar. Something called the Herodian. Now, the Herodian was a palace, the third largest palace of its day. It was built by King Herod. Herod had a, uh, he was a little paranoid. He felt like he was going to be attacked um, from many different Areas And so he wanted palaces and fortresses spread throughout his kingdom so that when the time came, he could flee, run away, run away, you know, and go into a palace for safety. And, and so he built different ones, different places. This was the third largest of them. It was built high up um, on a hill, mountain, you know, depending on where you live, you call it different things. And it, it, the buildings themselves covered 45 acres. There was 200 acres of palace grounds surrounding it. The building, uh, the walls, they were these double walls. They were made in a circular fashion, were 90 feet tall. 
And on the four corners, if you can call them that, of the circle were these towers that towered even over those walls. And inside those towers would live some royal family, um, some really high uh, officials, government officials. They would catch the breeze, the Mediterranean breeze, as it would cross um, the land and be cool, unlike the people down below. And in the center of, of this palace is this incredible, beautiful garden. This lush landscape. And then there's also um, a, a, a big uh, banquet area. And then all these baths. And, and it was just this tremendously large place built up on this hill. It literally cast its shadow upon some villages that were near it. It was something you would see for miles. Growing up in Bethlehem. They would have been familiar with it. They would have been able to see it. It was that big. Now, the mountain that it was built upon originally wasn't big enough for Herod. It wasn't tall enough for Herod. He wanted to be a little higher. So he went to another hillside mountain that was nearby, said, move that from here and put it on top of this one so that we can build higher. Because, you know, when you're the most powerful man in the area and you have more money than anyone and you have more army and soldiers than anyone and you kill anyone who says anything bad against you, if you want to move a mountain, you say, hey, let's move a mountain. And you have slaves that do it for you. So there's the background. This sense of power and wealth. This tremendously large presence. And what it said about who built it. Verse 14, when they arrived at the foot of the mountain, a huge crowd was waiting. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son because he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Jesus replied, you stubborn, faithless people. How long must I be with you until you believe? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him. From that moment on, the boy was well. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, Why couldn't we cast out that demon? You didn't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I assure you, even if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. If you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say, move that mountain from here to there. Do you think that that meant something a little differently than it does to an audience who doesn't know the story of the Herodian? Do you think that when he says, if you have the faith of him, anyone ever held a mustard seed in their hand? A few of you, like three of you, actually. Um, Go find one. They are Tiny, 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 little bitty black seeds that you put in your palm. You're like, well, where'd it go? I know it's here somewhere. Not that small, but they're really small, really small. If you remember Matthew 13, Jesus talks about this and he says it can grow into a tree. A mustard plant grows into a tree where birds can perch and people can lay underneath. So it has power, but it's tiny. So he tells this story, if you have just the smallest, even modicum of faith, you can have the power of Herod. 
the most mighty man around. You can move a mountain. How did Jesus really expect us to go around praying that mountains would move? That seems silly, right? I mean, he's like, if you just had the faith of the mustard seed, hey, let's go over to the Rocky Mountains. And God, I know you put them here and they're really cool and all, but I'd like some mountains in Texas. So I'm going to pray that they would move to Texas because I want to live on a mountain. It's silly. It'd be cool, wouldn't it, though? I mean, we all have mountain homes all of a sudden. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about strength of faith. That we have power that is greater than Herod. If we believe. You see, because the Herodian is ruins now. I think there's maybe one of the walls that kind of circles that, that still is around, but not much else. And in fact, most of the things that Herod built are ruins. Some are gone completely. 2,000 years later, after Jesus is talking about this, Herod is a footnote in a history book. He is a story that we tell around Christmas. But Jesus, the power of the Spirit, that strength still stands. That power still exists and is real. The church has not fallen. Sure, physical churches have come and gone. We have seen rises of denominations and then their demise, church splits, all those things. But the body of Christ exists and is as powerful today as ever. We just don't tap into it all the time. We just caught get ourselves caught looking at the Herodian, at the big black towers, at the stores, at the stock market, at the economy, the things that have power in our world. We lose ourselves in their shadows instead of standing strong in faith. Because the fact of the matter is, those things that we have built in this world from our worldly ideals are going to fall. One day that tower on Michigan Avenue isn't going to be there anymore. It is at one point going to fall. Those stores are going to close. That stock market, that financial system that we have created is going to fail. Sound familiar? Maybe a whole lot sooner than we think. But we have built our lives upon things that are not permanent. We have placed faith and much greater faith than what we would find in a mustard seed on things that are not of God, but things of this world. Things that are here today and gone tomorrow. And God says, if you just have just the tiniest bit of faith in me. Oh, imagine what we could do. Imagine the influence that we could have in this world. Imagine the power that we would have to shine light into the dark corners, to end hunger, to end slavery, to end abuse, to end the isms, alcoholism, whatever it is. 
if we just had a little bit of faith, if we just tapped into that little, little mustard seed of faith and we started moving in our world and said, you know what? I'm not going to let this mountain stand here anymore. This mountain of pornography, this mountain of abuse, this mountain of slavery, whatever it is, clean water. I am not going to let this mountain stand anymore. I'm going to move. And God's coming with me. I <laughs> gave me chills. There's a line here that most texts don't have. A verse that's left out of many transcripts. It is in some of the Greek early transcripts, but not all. This is why it's usually left out. But what Jesus adds here, he says, nothing would be impossible. But this kind of demon won't leave unless you have prayed and fasted. This kind of demon won't leave unless you have prayed and fasted. And what Jesus is getting at is if you want to have that kind of faith, if you want to tap into my power and the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you, then spend time with me. Get to know me. How how, how are you going to move something that is immovable without knowing me, without getting into who I am and letting the power that dwells inside of you just come out? If you don't spend time with me, if you just pursue the patterns of this world, how many of you, other than the moment when Daryl said, let's spend some time in silence praying, how many of you did that multiple times this week? You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you make a habit of doing that every day? Of stopping the world and spending time with God? I got to tell you, that is, that is one of the hardest things for me. That is one of the most difficult things for me to do. My mind goes so fast and in so many directions at any one time that for me to have just silence and focus and concentration is really hard. How many of you have thought of at least one, if not two other things other than this sermon during the time that I've been preaching this sermon? Thank you for being honest. I have, and I'm the one preaching it. (laughs) So I know the rest of you should have been raising your hand. When Daryl was doing his prayer, I found myself going in and out of listening to him and where God was taking me and thinking about what was going to come next. And I had to slap myself. Stop it. Just be here. Be here. That song, be still. Be still. Be still. He is God. Jenna leaned over to me at 9.30 and she said, we should change the second part because she goes, he is God, he is God, to I am not. He is God, I am not. He is God, I am not. He is God, I am not. You know? Because we don't always believe that. Maybe we don't always act like it. How many times do you stop, take actual time out of your day to stop what you think you have to do and spend time with God. 
I'm telling you, for me, it is, it has to be a discipline because I can sit down for 10 minutes, but that's not enough time for me because my mind hasn't even gotten out of fourth gear by that time. I am way too ADD for that. I need like a Ridland salt lick next to me and just, um, okay, here we go. Let's just chill. I just need to take the time and the practice to get into the habit of doing it. Because I'm in a different position than a lot of you that most of the time when I spend time with God, it is about something else other than my relationship with him. It's about other people's problems with God. It's about Sunday morning. I spend a lot of time with God. I don't spend time with God. And then I go out in the world and, and I get knocked down by things of this world. And I wonder why. Why am I so tired? Hey, why, why do I feel so down right now? You know, I have great days, great moments, exciting times and everything. But then I'm like, oh, well, you checked in. Have you pulled that mustard seed out of your pocket and spent time with a guy who's just going, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, sit down, sit down, come here, sit down, hey, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, come on, sit down, sit down, no, stop it, no, oh, so, no, come on, yeah, there you go, oh, good, good, good. no, sit down. That's my mind all the time. Welcome to my world. I know that's what he says to all of us because he wants nothing more than just to be with us. To love us. To shape us. To sometimes shape us in a way that kind of hurts a little bit. And he's going to hug us. Every time I give Corbin a spanking, I immediately hug him. He's in tears. I say, I love you, Corp. I love you, Dad. You know I had to spank you? Yes, sir. Sometimes that's how God operates with us. But we need to be with God. Because the things of this world are not going to last. You can look through the history book and see all of the civilizations that have risen and have fallen and have risen and have fallen and have risen and have fallen. And us. But God has remained strong. God has remained the same God has remained and will remain. It's time that we take time out of our lives. And I don't know, let's begin by saying, hey, thanks. Thanks for that. And then move on from there. The prayer team is going to come up right now on either side of the stage in August. And, and Daryl will come and we're going to do as we try to do frequently now to carve out a time of prayer and extended worship if you choose to do. Maybe you just want to come and, and, and listen to them as they pray peace over you. Or maybe something is burning in your heart and soul and you need to come and talk to them about it. Whatever it is, do that. Feel free to sit here um, and do nothing but listen to let their words wash over you. If it is your time to leave, we thank you for being here and ask that you would leave quietly. 
so that last week I told you to get up and get out and be all fired up. This week we're going the other direction. Be quiet, be still, and know that he is God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you that you are God and we are not. We thank you that even in our midst of darkness, you offer us light. God, help us to connect into those times, those moments, those ways of knowing that you are there for us. God, we thank you and praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life so that we may have ours. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.